I'm Ben Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much, maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. Hey there, freedom seekers. Ever wonder about the hero that lives inside of you, ready to conquer the business world? Well, if you've been listening to our show for a while, then you know that we love exploring hero myths and using them to better understand our own heroic journeys. I wanted to make these stories even more actionable for you, so we built a way for you to uncover your business superpowers, avoid potential pitfalls, and see your entrepreneurial journey in a whole new light. Ready to discover your business owner hero type? Check out the show notes or head over to lucidshiftcoaching.com forward slash quiz to take our free quiz and learn which heroic energy you embody in your business. It only takes a few minutes and it's free. Your heroic journey awaits. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast. We are here today to talk to you about Pinocchio, which is our third episode. It's the second movie produced by Disney. I'm excited for this conversation because I think that there's a lot of like sticky metaphors in here and we're going to talk about that today. Ben. I would love for you to start us off by just giving us kind of a synopsis of the Disney version of the telling of Pinocchio. Totally. Because there are a couple of different versions. There's a, there's a book as well. In the Disney version, it's kind of, I think, simplified a little bit. It's the story of a little wooden boy. For those of you who have not seen Pinocchio or who have forgotten, the story of a little wooden boy gets brought to life by the magic blue fairy. And he's set on a quest to prove his bravery, his trustworthiness, and his unselfishness. And if he can do that, he can become a real boy. And so he sets off on a journey. First, he gets hoodwinked on his way to school and swept into the actor's life and taken advantage of by some Stromboli, the uh, the puppeteer, by a very dark guy. And and then the the two, I forget what they're, they're called, but it's the fox and the weasel who like are hoodwinking him into these things. They're like the, the voices of temptation. Oh, it's a fox and a cat. Fox and a cat, yeah. After being rescued by the the blue blue fairy from his plight, she says, "Never again. I'm not going to rescue you again." And then, sure enough, he gets swept up in another scheme from Handsome John and and his friend the cat. I feel like his his name actually has the uh, has the characteristic to be on the lookout for from him. But he gets swept into another into Pleasure Island, invited to Pleasure Island, where you can do whatever you want. You can smoke and drink, and all these other boys are there and. He finds out over the course of time that these boys are turning into jackasses and then being sold into slavery for their labor as their jackasses. And so he yet again survives from that, but he didn't fully turn. So he kind of like maintains some of his moral character there, I think. And we'll talk more about that. But he didn't fully turn into a donkey, he just started to turn into a donkey, which actually then gave him some. We'll talk more about that, too. Then, But he needed that tail. So then he goes home, finds out that Geppetto has been taken. He only wanted to get back to his father as a loving, devoted son and finds out that Geppetto has been looking for him for months. He's lost. And then it turns out he thinks that Monstro the whale may have been involved. And so he was swallowed by Monstro the whale. 
And so then Pinocchio has to go brave the sea and then he gets swallowed by the whale and then they figure out a way to get out. And then he has proven that he has bravery, trustworthiness and unselfishness and gains his his full personhood. So that's in a nutshell, that's the Disney version. Tell me about the, the book. Yeah. One of the biggest differences is the character in the Disney movie is quite endearing. He's a little like naive and sweet. Carlo Collodi's telling of him is like he's mischievous. He's a ragamuffin and a good for nothing. And he is very like mischievous and like like a troublemaker, like kind of disregard for other people. There's this interesting tension in the book between his kind of disregard and like desire to just pursue his own kind of interests. Um and at the kind of downfall of the people in his world, like the Blue Fairy and his father, right? And so in the book, he's kind of bad. And Carlo Collodi's, from what I understand, his intention was as like a warning to other people. Like if you don't care about, if you kind of disregard the people in your world, that can have an impact on them. He's even violent. So in one of the things that you didn't talk about was like the conscience. Oh, Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. And so in the book, he actually, the cricket has a role. It's not as significant as in the Disney movie, but he kills the cricket. Right away. Like he murders him in the first chat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, the cricket comes along and is like, hey, you know, maybe don't be so bad. And Pinocchio just kills the cricket. He comes back to life and makes a reappearance later on the book. But that was another key difference. Maybe let's step into talking about some of the the metaphors in this story and kind of like what it might represent for us. Anything else to add? Something I want to add before we jump into the metaphors is I want to just touch on the cultural context. So we're talking about a book that was written in the 1800s. And the context at the time was it was the Industrial Revolution was happening. And so in this time, we had all of these peasants that were living out in the country coming into the cities and not having the kind of cultural awareness on how things are done. The role of the cat and the fox in the story of Pinocchio is like, if you come into the city as a peasant in 1800s Italy, people could take advantage of you. Like they rob him. They actually, the cat and fox hang Pinocchio in the book, but he's like a wooden puppet, so he doesn't die, but he gets rescued from by the Blue Fairy. Another really interesting thing that I just learned as I was preparing for this conversation is that Pinocchio is the third most translated book in the world after the Bible and the Little Prince. Okay, that is fascinating. Isn't it just so fascinating? Because remember, we're looking at these stories because of how they resonate with the world. And so the Bible is obviously highly resonant. It sounds like the Little Prince is highly resonant. Great story. Maybe we'll talk about that someday. And then Pinocchio, huh? Interesting. What is also interesting to me about this is I found myself reading the book and watching the movie of Pinocchio. And comparatively, when we watched Snow White, Snow White was quite a compelling tale. And I found myself like leaning in and we were watching Pinocchio. And I remember at one point, both you and I had like picked up our phones and like yeah, we were, we were bored. To be fair, we did watch Pinocchio like last year with your mom, remember? So we I, I had I was like pretty aware of the story and we were reviewing it for the podcast. And it's just not as compelling of a story as Snow White, I think. There's less of a of a clear story arc to what's happening with Pinocchio. It's more like these vignettes that happen where he's at Stromboli's and he's at Pleasure Island and then he's at, at the whale. And the through line there isn't that compelling. And also Pinocchio as a character isn't really that compelling. And I think that's part of the the nature of this story, right? Because it is a coming of age story in some way. 
Pinocchio is on a quest to become a quote unquote real boy. And we might say to become a real human because a real boy can then become a real man. So Pinocchio is like on this journey to, to cultivate these characteristics. And I think it's, a, it's really a moral tale, right? Of like, what can happen if you don't follow these things? And then what happens if you do? So he's off to be, become brave, trustworthy, and unselfish. Now, we might have a conversation <laughs> about, are those the characteristics that we want to really like? But for the sake of the story, sure, these are values uh, that we'd see being present in people. And then it's almost like each vignette is there to prove that he has one of those characteristics, right? Because he gets swept up in the, he's supposed to go to school. He said, I'm going to school. And then he gets swept up in the puppet show. And so that's trustworthiness. Like he didn't have trustworthiness. So he got swept up. He wasn't worthy of being a boy. And then he like got into his next problem where they all got sent to Pleasure Island, where you get to be as selfish as you want to be. And so he wasn't unselfish. And he, so he became an ass and he didn't, he had his vignette happen there. So he, each one of these vignettes is a place for him to learn something. And then he has to obviously go down and, and brave the, the depths in the belly of the whale. And that is bravery. He's showing bravery there too. He's out to pick up these qualities and characteristics. And that's like kind of what his journey is about. So I think that's part of why the story is a little bit less compelling. There's in Snow White, there's a very clear villain and a very clear objective. She's trying to stay alive. With Pinocchio, it's something a little bit more. He's trying to become like a, a person worthy of citizenship, you might say, or, you know, worthy of inclusion in humanity. Because again, I believe that these stories are resonating because they are clues to teach us what survives. In a way, the Blue Fairy, I think, could be said to represent the social contract that helps to keep everybody healthy and safe and the story flowing, right? If everybody shows up as brave, trustworthy, and unselfish, well, we, you know, we'll get along as humans and we'll probably be able to survive for a really long time, right? If everybody shows up as timid, I guess, untrustworthy and selfish, well, then we, the society, the social construct breaks down and we're probably not that set up for surviving. Yeah. Something that I think is really interesting also is we watched the movie and there's this kind of it's almost like it's an argument for conformity. Like, here's how you be boy. Here's how you do it, like, right or correctly. And then shortly after we watched Pinocchio, we watched Turning Red, which is a completely almost opposing narrative of how do you be, like, free from the expectations of the people in your world and the expectations they've put on you and be, like, a free, independent identity, which is totally different. And I get curious about that because it seems like it would be interesting to know, like in the future, how sticky, like how can the story of turning red transcend time? Like, would it stick? But it seems like it's a representation of kind of our cultural psych psychology as a humanity of this kind of going from the industrial revolution, where there's these very different cultures really closely geographically located. And when they merge, there's problems. The peasants get taken advantage of. The city folk are like, why don't you just conform? Like we have a way of doing things here versus today where we have cultural differences, but we have a lot more awareness because we have so much connection to each other and ability to like research and understand how different cultures are different. And so it seems like maybe it's not as problematic and with that in place, maybe there's some sort of a like cultural safety that comes into play that allows for something like the narrative of turning red for people to really come into their own individual identity. What do you, what do you think about that? It's an interesting thought because I'm actually wondering 
if it has even this other aspect to it that we haven't discussed, which is the cultural societal norms in the various different cultures. Because like Pinocchio, it came out, it was born out of Italy. So it's a very, it's like Western culture. But Turning Red, that is illustrating and showing a more Asian culture, like the, in the traditional Asian values, which, very, which are very community centered. So like the, in the West, we're very like indi- individualist. Then in the East, they tend to be more communally, culturally family is very important. You know, your society is very important. Honor is very important, those kinds of things. And so I think that there is almost like they're addressing different tensions in the West where look, Pinocchio, all Pinocchio's challenges get, he, he gets into trouble because he's acting selfishly and he's naive. So those are like his two kind of tragic flaws, but in turning red, she's kind of trying to separate herself out from and handle the tension that is like desiring to be, and and also it's based in the West too. So she's got this like social culture that she lives in, and then her family culture that she comes from, and kind of the the tension that's happening there is really driving the story. Like she's always like quote unquote disobeying her mom or her grandmother or whatever in that story. Whereas Pinocchio, the moral of the story is like be unselfish, do more of that, be be more devoted to your your father because he's not that's part of what gets him into trouble is his dad says go to school which look by the way geppetto does not prepare him for the world at all he's just like it's your first day being alive go uh, have a, here's your books <laughs> right like have fun and pinocchio's like okay and he has no idea and so i think that there is that there's also that cultural context and this is the really cool thing that you see again and again in myth and metaphor is this tension between the individual and the society because what is good for the individual is not always good for the society. And so we have this tension that exists. Like you see it in Little Mermaid. It's a, it's a really big thing that happens because King Trident, he like represents the society that you might call the patriarchy, but like definitely the king, like the, the monarchy, he, there is a rule of law and it exists to keep us safe. But then there's here, there's Ariel who just, she wants to be free and wants to sing. She's a fish for God's sake. There's this tension between what society says and what the individual wants, which that is again, a model because again, all of these things are just talking about our psychology and what what resonates with us as people. But if you look, that's that's essentially what it means to come of age, to be a person, right? You're born, babies are perfectly selfish. They have zero concern or interest or maybe even awareness of any other individuals, right? And it's only through a process of growth and development that we become aware of other people. Can I push back on that? Yeah, go ahead. Considering from like an attachment theory perspective, that babies actually do have an awareness of their parents because they're looking to them to help them understand what's safe. They do once they get to a certain point. I'm look. I'm talking about like a baby who's just born has zero oh, like, an, like an infant. Yeah, and and it's over time that we develop any sense of self. That's what's happening as we're growing is we're developing our sense of self, our sense of awareness of other things. In the beginning, I don't think there's any awareness at all. I don't even think the eyes are actually working that well. Certainly not the imagine what it would be like to interpret sense data with no context at all. Like everything's just a chaotic mess, right? We are just a self crying in the wind, so to speak. And so the tension that exists is like that of like a wild animal being encultured. A beast comes into the world who's perfectly selfish, has no, like, I'm not saying, I don't have a bad story about selfish. You know what I mean? What I'm saying yeah, is they yeah. come in and they're perfectly selfish, Self self-centered, interested. self-interested. They don't even have mm-hmm. any other data points really. And then it's through the process of growth and development. And what we're, that's what raising a child is, is saying like, Hey, there are certain ways that at its highest and best, I think there are certain ways that if you act these ways, 
you're more likely to succeed in society. You're more likely to get what you want, to be able to navigate the world in an effective way. And a big part of that is like curb your selfishness. Don't hit other people and take what they have. Because if you do that, you're going to have a hard time making friends. And it's a lot easier, this thing, if you make friends, right? So in the in the book, what happens is like, so Geppetto sends Pinocchio to school. He like sends him out the door with books, right? In the mm-hmm. movie. In the book, he actually, he wants he wants the best for Pinocchio. And in a really selfless state, he sells his only coat. He sells it so that Pinocchio can have books. And Pinocchio is like, on his way to school, and then gets compelled to sell the books for a fraction of the price and like take these coins and go to the puppet show, essentially. And so it's like this story of kind of just to illustrate when you take an action, like basically he takes Geppetto's power away to, you know, like care for him and give him a good life by kind of disregarding the... I guess, like, the love behind Geppetto's action of selling his only coat. Because now he's cold, right? Selling his only coat so that Pinocchio can go to school. Like, that kind of selfishness being illustrated, I think, is really powerful. And it makes, in the book, it makes Pinocchio, like, a really, like, character where you're just like, gosh, man, get it together. Like, that's so disrespectful and rude. Yeah, and and so look... The character in the book, it sounds like, is a little bit less portrayed as naive and more, like, mischievous. And also... We're talking about a young person learning to navigate the world literally for the first time, because whether it's it's in the book and he's got this mischievous characteristic or he it's in the movie and he's naive, completely naive. It literally is his first day on the planet. You know what I mean? So his naivety is there. He doesn't know how the world works and that's why he's being taken advantage of. And that's how it also maps back to the the symbols for peasants or whatever. So he just doesn't know how things work. Right. And so part of what it means to to grow up and and if we're if Pinocchio is our hero, right, he's there to teach us qualities, the heroic qualities in the world. Right. And so in order to do that, he has to learn those heroic qualities because it's a coming of age story. He doesn't start off a hero. He becomes one by the end of the story, hopefully, if he's developed these characteristics. And so he's got a map to follow and he's trying to learn those things. And so I love that you bring this thing up because it's like Geppetto sells his coat, Pinocchio, but Pinocchio has no context for what that means. He doesn't, he, first of all, he's wooden, so he doesn't understand cold, right? So he doesn't even understand what it means to have a coat. And then he's taken advantage of because he just doesn't understand the way that the world works. Look, he gets taken advantage of by merchants because merchants are selling the coat for less than it's worth to, for the books. And then he's selling the books for less than they're worth to get the coins. Right. And it's all this, this cycle that's happening. And that's because of his naivety. He doesn't know he's young. And, you know, I want to give him some credit, even though he's a mischievous troublemaker, right? He doesn't know. And I think that's part of what the story, what the journey is about is like coming to an awareness. And does he have in the book this, because they probably made it nice and clean in the Disney movie, but does he have these characteristics that he's on a journey to get the bravery, the unselfishness and the trustworthiness? Yeah, I, I think there is, it comes later in the book. So it's not like it's not as clear from the outset just because it was published as, as like a periodical. Right. So but they I'm are mentioned. Or... The, yeah, it's later. It's later in the book. Yeah. And ultimately, like the path to becoming a real boy, it, it comes to light like halfway through. It was morbid curiosity if they if they included that or if Disney kind of like doctored it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. The story is a little more cohesive and has like a clearer 
objective that he's overcoming in the Disney version than the Yeah, they, they the make book. it nice and neat yeah. and, and package yeah. it up. Okay, so the core thing as we're talking about this that I keep coming back to for me is the tension that I feel between Pinocchio and there being some kind of like criteria that he is on a path to like achieving and the tension between that like this the way that I feel about like the way that I think about it is like these supposed to's and like these shoulds and like society says which also in with my clients and the coaching that I do is also like that's a really problematic component of people's development of like well everybody says that like you have to invest and you have to do this and you have to have health insurance and there's all of these like criteria for what it means to like be a human that's worthy and fits in and does it right. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on how to kind of reconcile those two things, like Pinocchio needing to come to this conformity and this pressure that sometimes people feel around conformity and conformity being problematic for them. There's like a slight distinction to be made because what those societal pressures to to do certain things that is a different, I think, a different quality than a societal pressure to embody certain characteristics or qualities. The difference being that these, and again, the story is like, the, I think the reason myth, myth is so interesting to study is because it's giving us clues into what survives, right? And what to, into what kinds of things, into how to be a person who survives. Heroes are on a journey for immortality, right? That's what we're, that's what we're doing. And so what the blue fairy is giving him a path to is not societal conformity, but to individuation, in fact, how to be a hero in the world, how to be someone who is a part of the immortality process. You be brave, you be unselfish, you do things for other people, not for yourself, and you be trustworthy. You do what you say you're going to do. And so these are like the heroic ethics that he's being invited to. That's different than make money. Can we just double tap on the selfish one? Like the selfless? Because I think that we have in our contemporary society, there's like this being self-interested or self-centered has kind of a negative connotation. And the story of Pinocchio is kind of advocating for selflessness. And at some point, there's so much selflessness that they're like, how do you then be your own person and act in alignment with yourself, taking yourself into consideration before other people? And then, which is, you know, like the path to living a life of kind of dissatisfaction because there's all these forces around you and it feels like you have to do things that maybe you don't really want to. Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting topic because I, I know it's something that comes up for us regularly in coaching is this tension between what we want and what we're supposed to want. I guess what I can say is that in a myth, the purpose is survivability. It's immortality. I think, I think that's just like what these myths are for is to give us clues into what the path for like, they're, they're like the guideposts. They're like the lesson plans for how we keep society going. Imagine, you know, people are like sitting around a fire and they're like passing on these stories. Like we've, found that when we do these things, like we're able to survive longer because when we're coaching people, we're helping them like be themselves and be expressed in the, in the world as well as they want. I think that 
that we're all on our own heroic journey in that way. But also, also like just realize that these, these fairy tales, I think the reason they stick around is because they give us clues. So you like take any hundred people and they say like, who's the best person of us? Like what qualities does that person have? And how do we model that, those qualities as, you know, ideals? Like this is the hero of our village, right? And then you take, you know, a hundred of those heroes together Right. And they say, okay, cool. Well, who's the best of those heroes? Well, what qualities do they have? And now we have like the makings of a God. Okay. And then you take like a hundred of those gods, right? And you say, all right, who's the the best amongst the gods? And what qualities do they have abstractly? Right. And now we have like a monotheistic culture. And this is the path that, by the way, these things took in our history, right? We first had the person who could have most of what they wanted in the village, right? And then we had like a bunch of villages getting together and they had their collections of their best versions of people, right? And this is where like God, the idea of gods came from. And then there's like this idea of like one God that embodies all the characteristics, the best characteristics, right? And so I think that these these stories, what they're doing is they're like kind of, because if we embody bravery, trustworthiness, and selfishness, well, society is much more likely to keep going, right? Because really we are in a, fight with chaos. It's order versus chaos, right? It's li- life versus death. And we don't, in our modern era, we, we don't, we're not always so aware of this dichotomy that's happening because it's so easy to survive in our modern era for most people, right? Whereas for a long time in our human history, it was not so easy to survive either for individuals or for groups of individuals to survive. I guess even in the context that Pinocchio was written in the 1800s, even in that time period, being a peasant and coming into the city and not having like the same culture or moral fiber even, or even, I I guess the book in and of itself is kind of a discussion on like the, if moral fiber doesn't exist, like what the breakdown looks like. But even during that time period, it was quite dangerous, actually. Like you could die a lot more likely than you could die today. I do just want to add one more thing to this this distinction because I'm I'm becoming aware of a distinction and I, I've been playing with this for a little while, I think. But selfishness versus self-centeredness, just to give a, a different flavor to these two terms, because I think what we're what we're advocating here, because you, you can see what he's doing in Pleasure Island, where he's overcoming selfishness. He's literally losing the rest of the world, right? They don't even notice when all the other boys are disappearing, becoming asses. Right. Because they're so caught up in the pool hall and smoking and drinking with Lambden, right? Uh, or Lambwick or whatever. They're so self absorbed that the world is falling apart literally around them and they have no idea that it's happening. Right. Not a really useful model for survivability in the world. If everybody were to do that, okay, what is left over afterwards? So that's why it's a heroic quality is unselfishness, right? We're not getting so caught up in what we're doing that we're losing track of the rest of the world. Now that's a distinction though, from self-centeredness. Like I am the center of my reality. I am the center of my universe. I am the ultimate authority in my, in my world, right? The decision maker for me. And that's different. And I think that's something to be really like embodied and really, and I think that exists in this too. I mean, it's his consciousness externalized. It's such a funny thing that they do in this story, right? But what, what we're ultimately trying to get him to do is be at the center of his own reality and be responsible for himself to showing up in society the way that he wants to be if he wants to be a real boy. And that is different. You can't do that without a sense of self-center. Because it's like advocating for advocating for his awareness, that he'd be noticing 
Whereas before, his dad bought this coat. He didn't even know that he was having kind of a selfish impact. And so, okay, cool. So like coming into these trials as a way to develop, what does it take to be in the kind of society that's going to survive? Exactly. We kind of take, we take care of each other. We take note of the implications of our own actions. Yeah. And I do, I do think going back to what we were talking about with turning red, that is the tension that we're in. That's the paradoxical tension that exists in these stories is that we're dealing with on the one hand, King Trident has a point. When society follows certain rules, we're all a lot safer, right? And on the other hand, when those rules get too rigid, right, we don't have individuality. And then what's the point of all those rules anyway, right? So I think there's this tension between a social contract and an individual desire in the world and path in the world. The way that I kind of think about these tensions is I, I like to think about it. I like to present it as like a calibration So we come into the world, we take certain actions, and at some point it starts to just not work. And so then we have to correct, and maybe sometimes we go too far to the other side, and we go from ultimate selfishness to, like, ultimate selflessness. And I think that that's, like, like an archetype, like a contemporary archetype of, like, the mom who gives her whole self to everyone in the world and as a result, can't actually sustain the caretaking because she isn't getting her own, she's not filling her own cup up enough. And so kind of then coming back to some, like, how do we calibrate, find some sort of happy medium? And I love this idea of calibration because I think that it's constant. We're going to come into a world, calibrate, pendulate to the other side, and then maybe we'll find a happy medium, but then something in our world will change and we'll have to start, we don't have to do anything. But then we can choose to like calibrate again to find out like we're always searching for like where does it feel good in my world like how do I make it works like workable yeah and what I think is really interesting and that we didn't talk about in this story is that a lot of times the seeds for what the next part of our journey are is planted in the current iteration like the problems that we're having in the current iteration wind up becoming the strengths that we need to overcome the next iteration. So like when he becomes, he starts to turn into an ass, right? And he grows the long ears and he grows the long tail. And well, and then in the next scene, he's got to get to the bottom of the ocean. And it's going to be a lot harder for him to do that if he doesn't have a tail to tie around a big rock to fall down on the bottom of the ocean and walk along dragging the rock along the bottom of the ocean. That's how he's trying to find Geppetto, right? And so it's like, it was that seed of ignorance that was planted that it was the impetus for his growth out of that last thing. Like it was him noticing, oh shit, I got like these long ears that had him like check himself and get ready. But if he hadn't done that, he wouldn't have been prepared the same way for the next leg of his journey. Right. And so it's like, I love that because it's like this indication, uh, this reminder to like honor the, the parts of the journey that you're in right now, even though they might seem like they're despicable or we don't let, you know, nobody wants to turn into an ass. Right. Man, I just love that idea of thinking about what is, what, how is this happening for me? What could I possibly, like, how can this make me smarter, more prepared, and more equipped for whatever future endeavor? I, I just, I love that idea of finding the benefits of the maybe strife and discomfort that I'm experiencing in the moment. Yeah, I, I love it because it's a lens that's always available to us. We can always use whatever's happening to us in the moment and we can just look at it and be like, hey, you know, like a tarot card or something like that. How is this thing that's happening, quote unquote, to me, the, the thing that I'm dealing with that's a struggle in my life right now, how is it actually happening for me? Or what am I getting from this that I'm going to be a, a better human, better version of myself on the other side of it? So such a cool thing. These myths have. Any concluding thoughts as we wrap up? 
the tension between selfishness and society. Don't be a little wooden head. <laughs> Work on integrating your experiences to become the next version of yourself. And above all, listen to your conscience. <laughs> listen to your conscience. I love that. Thanks for having such a lovely conversation about Pinocchio with me. This is really nice. Yeah, thanks, wifey. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life. <laughs>